0: Today marks part two of our study concerning false teachers. Warnings concerning false prophets happened quite frequently throughout the scriptures. It comprised a good portion of the epistles and the early church letters. Combating false teaching was an essential part of the job description for anyone who holds the title of elder or pastor. The distinctions and practices of false teachers are addressed directly within scripture. So we should learn to spot false teachers, false teachings hundred yards away. It'll be a benefit for us to pick up where we left off last time when I spoke in Second Peter chapter two. A recap of last month's study um, <clears throat> was Peter writing, he said, Expect false teachers. He said they'll be clever, they will contradict the Lord, and they will ultimately be conquered. Peter said that many will follow the deception, said the truth will be undermined, greed is underlying, strategy is underhanded, but the destruction is unnegotiable, said God will judge these false teachers, false prophets, God has a track record of doing so, talked about the flood of Noah's day, the raining fire that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, God knows how to rescue the godly, Noah and Lot. But destruction is unnegotiable again for false teaching false teachers. We ended with verse nine. We'll read it again uh, for context as we dive in. Verse nine says, So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. And only God can do that perfectly. God sees the hearts and the motives. He knows uh, the people with faith in him and those who have rejected and are enemies of truth and goodness. And so while Jesus is the only ticket to heaven, there will be different levels of reward and glory for believers according to their faithfulness. So no one gets to heaven apart from uh, the mercies and the graces of God as given to us through Jesus Christ and um, extended to us, but then how we build upon that uh, will be rewarded for every little thing that we do that is a step of faith or obedience to the Lord. So sacrificing or, or obedience or um, uh, resisting um, uh, temptations and so forth, faithfulness, having faithfulness. And the economy of God is such that, you know, I, I you know, God impresses upon me to Open the door for someone whose hands are full of groceries, and I get to heaven and God says, "Do you remember Mrs. Uh, weagles Smith?" And I said, "No, never met her." He said, "Actually, you did. You opened the door for, her. and um, and so um, here's ten mil for that act. That was a good. That was a good job. And that's the economy of God." And so these little things that we do, and it tells us that in Mark 10, anyone who's left, who's done his sacrifice in whatever manner, that God will reward a hundred times. fold. I has not seen, ear has not heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him. He is, he is gonna blow our socks off yeah. when we get to heaven yeah. in so many ways. <clears throat> and um, Luke 19, 26, um, portion of that verse, those who use well what they are given Even more will be given. Likewise, there are to be different degrees and or durations of punishment for those who rejected the mercies, the graces of God, in accordance with their level, I guess, of rebellion. In Luke 12, Jesus explains the end time judgment like this. Luke 12, 47 through 48, he says, And a servant who knows... What the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. But someone who does not know and does something wrong will be punished only lightly. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Jesus communicated greater judgment for those who had heard and learned much of God, who had experienced his goodness, but who had intentionally rejected and warred against him. Number one in your notes today is compounded judgment. And that's our starting point. It was verse 10 where we left off and it's this, uh, verse 10, 2 Peter 2. He is especially hard, compounded judgment, on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. Another scripture talking about an exaggerated judgment. Note the text says God is especially hard on a certain type of people, especially true of, chiefly true in the sense of most particularly true of two specific types of people. God is reserving a specific type or degree of punishment for a certain bunch. He is especially hard on those who, and the Greek says, to those who follow or indulge the corrupt desire of the flesh, who indulge the corrupt desire of the flesh, so not necessarily just sexual, although twisted sexuality is certainly uh, certainly comprises a good portion of that. The full picture here is God is especially hard on those who live only by their corrupt desires, and Romans eight gives us a, it shows us a contrast of people who live by the Spirit and people who live only by the flesh or the carnal nature. Romans 8, 5 through 8 says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God, It never did obey God's word, God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Peter is saying here in verse 10 that God will be especially hard on those who have thrown off restraint, who have disregarded morality, who have given themselves completely over to living according to their sinful desires. People who are ruled by the flesh who live to please, only please, their sinful nature, characterized by unchecked, unconstrained, unremorseful, unrepentant lifestyle. And of course, it is God's desire to save everybody and that everyone would acknowledge truth, that all would be saved, every person would receive his graces and mercies, But when people continually refuse to acknowledge God and when they deny any sense of accountability to their creator, then God gives them over to their foolish thinking. He gives them over to it. He abandons them to their foolish ways. Now, again, that's not his desire. His desire is to give grace and mercy, but if grace and mercy are rejected, that is the option chosen. And he gives them over to their foolish desires and thinking. That what a scary prospect. These types of people who are given over to their foolish thinking are described well in Romans 1, verses 29 through 32. It says their lives become full of every kind of wickedness. Sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway, and worse yet, they encourage others to do the same. So a disclaimer, this passage is not speaking about people who are struggling with a sin and or an addiction, someone who's remorseful, of someone who wants to grow in the faith, who wants to grow in self-control, who wants to uh, need, knows they need God's grace and mercy, but maybe is lacking strength. And these people, and each of us, need encouragement from one another and support from one another. But this passage is talking about those who are haters of the true God, even if they profess a religion, they're inventors of new ways of sinning. They encourage others to sin. Such are those who live by the corrupt desires of the flesh. And God will be especially hard on those people at the time of judgment. The last part of verse 10, it's, it's so, uh, so that those who live only by their corrupt, sinful uh, desires, and those, last part of verse 10, who despise authority. It's the second distinguisher. These people are proud and arrogant, our main text reads, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. But the angels who are far greater in power and strength do not dare to bring from the Lord a charge of blasphemy against them. Those who despise authority. We live in a world that often mocks nobility, that mocks truth, that mocks Christ followers, Christian leaders, truth in any form and God himself, scoffers, say scoffers, scoffers. scoffers. I don't know if you guys remember and, and uh, what your thoughts were in regards to Tim Tebow. It's almost a decade ago now. Um, he won the Heisman Trophy, I, I believe, won a national championship, is drafted by the Denver Broncos. In his first year as quarterback, he leads them to a 10 and six record, pretty good. Leads him to the playoffs, leads him to a win, a miraculous come from behind win in the playoffs. Had an unorthodox style and throwing style, and, and, uh, but somehow just had this uh, amazing passion, a way of um, giving his teammates confidence, uh, somehow always coming through in the clutch. Uh, and what's more, he never spoke evil of anybody. When he was being maybe stabbed in the back or mocked in different ways, um, he would speak respectfully of his coaches and management and so forth. And here's, here's his big mistake. He wore under his eyes, sometimes you know how they have that black paint under their eyes. Well, in the paint he would have like John 3.16 under his eyes, or a Bible verse of some sorts. Sometimes during a game, this is behold, behold, before a movement where a lot of people started kneeling during the national anthem. This is before that time. It would be different times during the game, not during the national anthem, during the game, where you would see him on the sideline, where he would, like, he, would, he would be down, and he'd be praying. He didn't know the camera was on him. He'd be off to the side or be on the side. And he'd be praying, and that was the end of his career, Because he was laughed out of the NFL and mocked and ridiculed out of the NFL for showing any passion or real faith outside of the church walls toward his Savior, whom he loved and trusted in Jesus Christ. So became public enemy number one. He was canceled, and he never was a starting quarterback. Um, I don't believe he started another game as quarterback after that season. So um, yeah, mock and ridicule anything. Uh, these types of people, Peter's describing, they're quick to blast or discredit anything that is noble or honorable. They're scoffers, mockers, and at times today, I'm going to briefly tangent, so we're going to talk about a, false prophets quite a bit, false teachings, but then we'll contrast at times how a Christian would act or respond or should act or respond as they grow in spiritual maturity. And... Um, a Christian growing in their faith and being led by God's Holy Spirit will respond by praying for their enemies, doing good to those who persecute them, and they'll refrain from taking offense. You know, First Peter 3.9, um, this is the next uh, Peter talking, I guess. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. Tim Tebow was a good example of that. Um, He never responded in in any uh, offensive way back toward the media or even towards those who um, were treating him wrongly. He kept a humble attitude, kept serving the Lord wherever God had him, and he's been a great example even post-NFL of doing that. And I pray he keeps living for God and that he doesn't compromise later in life but he finishes strong. 1 Peter 5:6 So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Anyway. Anyway, these scoffers they will not show any respect but they will speak bad toward or of any spiritual authority. And it'll be fine to do whatever you want with your body, you know, extramarital sex all over the place, drugs like crazy, live like an animal, but stand for truth, purity or nobility, and you're done. Let's throw off God, let's throw off um, godly laws, let's throw off authority of parents, any authority that stands for any part of honorable truth, let's undermine them. They're not just disobedient, but they speak evil against the things that are noble and right. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4, speaks of the return of Christ and the beginning of judgment. Paul says, don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come until there's a great rebellion against God. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. And just like the Antichrist false prophets today, those who indulge the corrupt desires and who despise authorities, they mock God and his kingdom. Our main text reads, it says, even scoffing at supernatural beings. Glorious ones, glorious beings. Uh, my guess would be angels, or even God himself. And they don't hesitate, they don't tremble to do so. Whereas the angels themselves do not bring a reviling accusation against them, against the scoffers. The New King James Version reads in verse 11, it says, Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Against them, against these foolish scoffers, I believe is the right context. The angels would be justified in doing so, pointing out the fault in these humans, but they refrain from doing so because it's not their place to do so. Scoffers, mockers. Have you ever seen a little dog talking smack to a big dog? (laughs) Have you ever noticed that people will text things that they would never say in person? They'll swear at you, they'll tell you off over a text and then see in in person and and a different person all of a sudden. It's very weird. Everyone is brave and courageous until they come up against reality. Mike Tyson, former heavyweight champion of the world, says everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. (laughs) To be clear, God will come to execute judgment. The mockers will be mocked. Jude 1.15 says, to execute judgment on the people of the world, he will convict every person of all the ungodly things that they have done and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Each mocking word, each scoff will be compensated with punishment, and again, God would rather forgive it. If you find yourself today here or online in the position of scoffer against God and against the things of nobility, uprightness, purity, truth, kindness, goodness, it's not too late to repent and to humble yourself before God. Jesus came to die for mockers and for scoffers. And while he's being nailed to the cross, he said, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them, Lord. Mm. And that's God's heart. Place your faith in Jesus. Become a follower of him. He'll change you from the inside out. Put his spirit in you. Give you a new heart that's not hard and cynical and scoffing at the truth, but a lover of truth, a lover of God and his ways, delights in God's ways. So we make it our aim to speak truth and speak life wherever we go. We speak faith and we speak grace. Ephesians 4.29, we don't use foul or abusive language, but let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. That's a contrast of a Christian. Number two today, these false teachers are creatures of carnal instinct. Our main text verse 12 says these false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at things that they that they do not understand and like animals they will be destroyed. Their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. Question for you this morning, what is the purpose of a rabid wolf? More specifically, what is the purpose? What purpose does a rabid wolf serve inside your house? Their instinct is to bite and infect anyone within reach. So what purpose does a rabid wolf serve inside your house? I know that's something we think about quite often, each of us. No. Purpose is none except to be destroyed. It serves no good cause. It is not valuable in any sense while it is living in your house. Peter says that these false prophets serve no good cause, and the only thing justifiable is for them to be destroyed. They have gone bad, and without repentance or without humility, they will serve no good purpose but to be destroyed. They are dead to the Spirit of God, godly wisdom, They ignore even the soul, common logic, searing their own conscience. They are led by and only by their fleshly instincts, corrupt desires, nothing redeemable in them. No repentance, no faith. It reminds me, it reminds us of the days of Noah when it said that the people at that time were only evil. Their only motive and intention at all times was only for evil all the time. There wasn't maybe one second during the year where they thought of something good or desired something good. Nothing. Only evil. We see the word scoff again in this main passage we just read. It says, they scoff at things they do not understand. Proverbs 18.2 says, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own Opinions, And so they will scoff at Scripture. They will scoff at the context of Scripture, the timetables of Scripture, the justice of even what we're talking about today. They would scoff at that. They would scoff at abstinence until marriage. They'll scoff at forgiveness instead of revenge. Jude 1.10 says, But these people scoff at things they do not understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instinct tells them. And so they bring about their own destruction. And so if you think about that wolf with rabies, it does only what its instinct tells it to do. And yet when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, God imparts the spirit of Christ into our lives and we gain another operating system. I don't know if you guys have experienced um, your computer. You know, after a couple years, all of a sudden your computer becomes maybe slow, or has viruses, or has crashes, and it needs an upgrade, and it needs a new operating system, superior in speed and efficiency. The Holy Spirit is superior in every aspect to our carnal instinct, and these these two different operating systems cannot even be compared. People without the spirit of Jesus, they do not have another system to run by. They may have some checks in place with their conscience until they sear it. Otherwise, they're operating only by a carnal instinct. Each day we can reset the default to our spiritual instinct as lovers of Jesus followers of God. God, fill me with your thoughts and fill me with your passions today. And we can be in his word and we can be nourished by his word and we can live from that nourishment and from his Holy Spirit. We can defer. We can set the default and ask for his help on a minute-to-minute basis. Ephesians 4 21 through 24, since you have heard about Jesus and you've learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So awesome. We already possess eternal life, our spirit is born again even while our bodies grow old. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. So, Peter's warning the church of false teachers, those who are positioning themselves for compounded judgment, those who are led solely by their carnal instincts, And now Peter lays out six, number three, six characteristics of false teachers. Second part of verse 13 of our main text, they love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. They commit adultery with their eyes and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin and they're well-trained in greed. They live under God's curse. They have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. God went to great lengths with Balaam. to prevent him from cursing the nation of Israel at a distinct point in time. So what are these false prophets like? Peter tells us uh, six things. One, they'll carouse in broad daylight. They indulge in evil pleasures even in broad daylight. They don't even try to hide their sin, but they parade it publicly publicly. It's not a matter of not knowing better, but rather they flaunt their wickedness and they celebrate it. Number two, they discredit God's kingdom. He says they are a disgrace and a stain among you. Among you. So remember, many of these false teachers are inside Christendom, inside our church communities. Unfortunately, some represent church leadership, pastors, seminary professors, Christian authors, Bible commentators, They are a disgrace and a stain among you in that they serve to confuse people and they do not represent the kingdom of God well. They actually serve to discredit, undermine the character of God, the commands of God. Number three, they revel in deception. They delight in it. They love lies that they believe they love the license that it gives them. They love unrestrained living and or the self-righteousness which false narratives provide them with. They don't wish to know or understand truth, but they delight in deception even as they eat with you. Again, professing Christians. Again, they'll often be Christian in name. They may well attend church. For example, I was told just the past week of a pastor who was encouraging college age students to participate in behaviors and practices that were compromising for the sake of relating to unbelievers. This pastor as articulate and winsome as he appeared was using scripture out of context to justify hedonism. These people, they delight in deception, they revel in it. How different from the children of God who love the truth just love it. Who delight in the truth, who rejoice in God's truths, love God's ways. I have a friend who makes it a point to do audible declarations. Um, I don't know if it's daily, but it might be hourly. I don't know. Quite often. And he will say, he does this, he says, I love God. I hate evil. I hate lies. I love the truth. I love righteousness. I love to obey God. I love his ways. I love it. I hate uh, to cheat. I hate um, lies. I hate disobedience. I hate fornication. I hate, uh, and, he just, and he'll just and he continue on, he'll say it out loud, he trains his soul and his flesh to align with his born-again spirit. Trains it to do so. Actually, very powerful exercise. And I thought, huh, that's kind of weird that he does that, isn't it? I'll, I'll try that. Man, it is powerful to verbalize. Somehow that there's a connection made. When you inform yourself and you speak it out loud, you delight. David, King David did that a lot. In fact, the longest chapter in the entire Bible is Psalm 119. We're not going to read it. <laughs> Psalm 119, and he just throughout the entire scripture. I love your decrees. I esteem God's truth. I honor his statutes. I embrace his commands. Yeah, good. The scriptures, they say, I love his ways. I trust your timing, God. I esteem your purposes. I believe in your power. Big contrast. The wicked delight in deception. The righteous, they delight in truth. Yeah. Delight in it. Number four, another characteristic, eyes are full of adultery. Adultery. Characteristic of false teachers is that their eyes and their minds are continuously looking for ways to sin sexually and spiritually. The book of Hosea is all about that. If you've read the book, it's a short read in your Bible. Hosea buys a woman's freedom out of sex trafficking. He gives her freedom, nobility, purpose, value. He honors her in marriage, but she runs back to a life of slavery always searching for and looking for ways to sin sexually and spiritually. Whereas men and women of God, they'll work to control their eyes. They'll work to control their minds. Job 31.1, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust upon a young woman. We put up defenses and internet protection and we memorize verses. We practice habits. We seek prayer and accountability and we want to be faithful. Number five, enticing unstable souls. They know how to act and talk so as to tempt and deceive and lead astray those who are not firmly grounded in the truth. Examples can be women or men. We won't read Proverbs 7, but that that whole chapter um, shows how a loose woman, using smooth talks, seductively dressed, immodest expressions, preying on passive and naive men. 2 Timothy 3, 5 through 6, a religious man, religious men. They act religious, but they'll reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and they win confidence, the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with guilt and sin, of sin and controlled by various desires. We don't want to be unstable souls. We don't want to be enticed by sin. We spoke last month, actually, about uh, people that are at greatest risk for uh, being lured away from the Lord. It's people that are outside of the Word of God. They're not staying in the Word of God. It's people that are outside of fellowship doing life alone or on their own. People that are compromising in the world, the wrong types of friends, engaging with unrestraint and sin People who are hurting or bitter or loaded down with shame. They're vulnerable. Proud people are vulnerable. Number six, final characteristic that Peter gives is that they're trained in greed. What's in it for me? If money's involved, that supersedes whatever's right or wrong. I will justify the means if the end result puts money or, po- or a power. In my pocket. And so you can read about Balaam in Numbers uh, chapter 22 through 24, but a great example of that. 1 Timothy 6 9 through 10, it says, But people who long to be rich, they fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Hebrews 13.5 says, Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God says, I'll never fail you. I'll never abandon you. And so in contrast, we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we're living for the next life. I think there's a rap song. Living for the, living for the, living for the next life. (laughs) Living for the next life. Hmm. Number four today, committed to recruiting. Universities, I'll, I'll tell you, universities our public, and even a lot of the private ones, are intent on stripping students of their faith. And it's a proactive, calculated, strategic, prioritized, systematic endeavor. Such so that um, even in some of our universities very close to Mount Horeb, require freshmen to take a four-class intro upon entering the college And these four classes can be picked by the students, and there's actually 20 of them to pick from. They have to pick four. But all 20 of them are strategically formatted in such a manner as to undermine the Christian faith and strip away, um, put doubt in and to strip them of their belief system. Verse 17 is, is that the main text where it says, these people are as useless and dried up as dried up springs or as mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to blackest darkness. Earlier we talked about um, the little dog with the big bark, but now here Peter shows it kind of the other way around, saying that they are useless as dried up springs or a mist blowing by the wind. So you walk up to a magnificent and promising well only to find it dry. No water in the well. Or as we've experienced sometimes, especially in the summer when it's been dry for a long time, we really need rain. And these huge, dark, ominous clouds come. and think, oh, finally, we're going to get some rain. Green things up again and help the farmers. And huge clouds and no rain. And then they disappear and no rain comes of it. And he says, <clears throat> and, uh, false prophets, false teachers, they sound and they look convincing. They sound certain and they sound confident, but they speak great swelling words of emptiness and deception. Their future is darkness. It says, the blackest darkness. Continue in verse 18. It says, they brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they're worse off than before. It would be better if they'd never known the way of righteousness than to know it and then reject the command that they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb, a dog returns to its vomit, and another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. Are we beginning to better identify whom God calls false prophets? Because Peter's just, this entire chapter and a lot of this letter, this is a big deal. He cares about the people. God loves the people, and Jesus came to save sinners and give his Holy Spirit. And Peter has such a burden that people are not going to be lured away from the freedom, the true freedom that Luke has experienced, that we saw that video, in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of sins, the burden taken off the shoulders. And so this whole chapter, he's talking about false teachings and what they do and what they look like and how to identify. And so right here, you know, and Jesus says, you'll know a tree by its fruit. We want to be able to distinguish between the fruit of true teachers, the truth and the fruit of false teachers. And Peter, in this section, he shows how they recruit. How do they recruit? They make themselves big, oftentimes relying upon or pointing to their accolades, their titles, their degrees, or prioritizing public status and approval. False teachers will often do that. Don't assume credibility because of a person's past merit or even their past accomplishments. What are the current words in the person's mouth and what is the current state of the person's heart before the Lord? Many great men and women of God who have checked out of the race, who begin running a different race before reaching the finish line. False teachers will make themselves appear important or powerful. Two, it says they will lure people into sin. They appeal to the lust of the flesh, sexuality, money, prestige, power, position, popularity, comfort, stability, success, safety. Always trying to allure those who have escaped from slavery back into slavery, back into the world's ways of thinking and acting and being. Number three, they promise freedom but they themselves are slaves of corruption. The church is legalistic. The Bible is restrictive. We know better. They are committed to recruiting. And here at verse 20, Peter pivots to speak to those individuals who had indeed escaped slavery and condemnation through faith in Jesus Christ, only to become enslaved again, being lured away from Christ. Peter states that these people are worse off than before. Friends, you don't want to be lured away. And it's good for us to take a moment, check ourselves in the faith, and ask if we're believing lies and call out to Jesus, recommit to going his way. Slippery slope leads toward unbelief, and in the end, unbelief leads to death. In fact, Peter says it would be better to have not known. It's the same word (laughs) used in 2 Peter 1, verse 2, which we talked of a few uh, weeks ago when he said, grow in your knowledge. He says, grow in the knowledge, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Grow in that, and you'll never fall away, he said. The ways of righteousness. It would be better not to add an additional sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. It would be better... That the sin would not be compounded. It would be better in that the damage would not be done to onlookers, the representation, the ambassadors, wouldn't represent the kingdom of God wrongly. It would be better as to, it would have been better as to the greater judgment one will receive for having done so. Peter quotes two proverbs signifying um, it says the dog returning to the vomit, after leaving the vomit, returns again. Talks about the sow having been washed. It's clean, no mud, no stink. It's completely washed. Returns to the mud. Peter's purpose in writing the letter, again, is to encourage people to grow in their faith, to warn of false prophets. Just a couple concluding verses is, is 2 Peter 1, 10 through 11. So this was last month or the month prior. It says, so dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you're really among those God has called and chosen. Do these things. He's talking about growing in your faith, growing in your knowledge and faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, nurturing that relationship, and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Peter actually ends this letter with this, 2 Peter 3, 17 through 18. He says, you already know these things, dear friends, so be on guard Then you will not be carried away by the errors of this wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge, there it is again, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You just keep keep growing in your relationship with your best friend. You just keep talking to Jesus, and you spend time with Him. And he He is faithful, He will keep you secure. He will take you across the finish line. But you keep your eyes, you keep your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, God, we thank you this morning for your word and uh, the warnings. Man, what a terrible God you would be if you didn't warn us of, of the enemy. If you didn't warn us of propensities and temptations and the traps that lie before us. You are so great and so honorable. And we thank you for running after us with a persevering love, a love that pursues. We thank you, God, for establishing us and establishing your church and building your church, Lord, throughout all the ages, still saving people, still transforming lives. And God, we ask for your help and we thank you that you've given it to us even today, Lord, at being aware of false teaching and false teachers, Lord that would look to lure us away from you, attack our faith, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Pray for our children. We pray for those in the school systems, Lord, that you would help us to help them. You would put people in their life and you would... um, um we could shine a light on your truth, Lord, expose, Lord, uh, uh, the darkness, Lord. Thank you for Luke's story, Lord, even before we started today and, and so many others. We're excited at your work, Lord, even in 2022. And um, we commit our lives to you today in Jesus' name. Amen.